0: I understand why Joshua smiles at this time now as he watches them exit. But as I've stood in the pulpit before, at least on one other occasion, I remembered my favorite invitation in the scripture. And I'm going to repeat it to you here this morning. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And when I stood there in that pulpit, I knocked, for dramatic effect. And several people about jumped out of their pew, so I'm warning you in advance. <laughs> but he's knocking. He's knocking. Amen. And he says, and if anyone hears my voice, if anyone, anyone, doesn't matter your situation, doesn't matter how bad you think you are, doesn't matter how You've messed up. He says, if anyone will open the door, I will come in to him. So that's my prayer this morning, is is that we would wind up in the service this morning, that we'd be in a place where we were able to receive and we would hear him knocking. And that we would open up and say, Jesus, come in. I wonder in your pew right now, quietly, if you might say that to yourself in your own heart. Lord, come in. Lord, we do invite you in this morning. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn to Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25. You can also find that in the... We have Bibles in the pewback pocket in front of you. Um, you're free to open that. If you open that and you don't have your own Bible, you can go to page 916. Those Bibles also, if you don't have one at home, you're visiting with us or... For whatever reason you don't have a Bible, please take it with you. We'd love you to have a copy of God's Word. Last week's message addressed a very serious issue. It was a difficult message. Uh, It was difficult to deliver, and I can only imagine it was difficult to hear. Um, Harder probably to receive it. But I was wanting to impress on you the havoc the flesh causes in our lives and in our church. And that havoc, that result can be devastating. And before we turn our attention to walking in the Spirit, did you hear that? We're not going to talk about the flesh this morning. We'll hear a little about it. But we're going to talk about walking in the Spirit this morning, which is our defense and our antidote against the flesh. I want to point something out, though. The Bible teaches that in the Christian life, our struggles and our warfare is against threefold. It's against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I know we've heard that. I have to know there are three people in the congregation that smiled when I said that because they know this is a pet thing of mine. They've heard it many times. But the world, the flesh, and the devil... When you take a hard look at that, it reveals that living in the flesh is done at great peril, great peril, both for the non-believer and for the believer. But when we looked at the flesh, what, it, what it, we looked at what it produces. We studied that extensively last week. It was painful. It was painful for me to talk about it. It's probably painful for some to hear about it, what it brings about in our lives. Because those things that it brings about, we all experience the anger and the envy. We've all gossiped. You know, we've we've all done those things that it it laid at our feet, and we're faced with that. And yet the reality that we learned is that we are a new creation in Christ, and all things are passed away, and all things have become new. So there's great joy, there's great hope in that, but it's a heavy message when you're going through it. But what I wanted to point out, if you If you examine the meaning of the world, so we we covered the flesh, and if you think about the meaning of the world, the world system, it works through the flesh as well. Because here's what the Bible says about the world in 1 John 2.16. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, the world system works off its interaction with our flesh appealing to our flesh, ruling our flesh. And then we have the devil. And the devil preys upon the weakness of our flesh and all his schemes, appealing to those tendencies of the flesh. So when we talk about the flesh, it's not something that we don't want to misunderstand. We want to have an understanding of it. You might also notice when Christ faced the temptation in the wilderness when he had fasted for 40 days and Satan came to him and tempted him it says that he was full of the spirit and by the spirit he endured Satan's attacks I'm going to make a bold statement this morning and you're going to have to think about it a while you're going to have to decide whether you accept it or not but all our battles that's scary isn't it when somebody says all All, but all our battles come at at us from the flesh, either in our own actions or reactions to the activity around us. The flesh is a serious foe, but I have good news. It's dead. For those of us who believe, it's dead. We are alive in Christ and his spirit is in us and it provides all we need to overcome the flesh. I want to take another look at Galatians 5, 16-25, but as I said before, and encouraging you we are going to be focusing on walking in the Spirit this morning, please listen as I read. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries. Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So as I have started off with a bold statement talking about the flesh and it being the source of what we struggle against, so we've seen we have this battle against the flesh, the world that runs on the lust of the flesh and Satan who tempts through our flesh. I want you to understand that the spiritual battles we face are fought on the battlefield of the mind. So, the battle, the battle itself, if it's against the flesh, the world, and the devil, but the battlefield is the mind. Romans 8, 5 through 6 says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Ephesians 4, 20-24 speaks of the battle for the mind this way. It says, But that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. A little bit shorter, but in Romans 12, too, it directs us this way. His word says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Colossians 3, 2 commands us, set your minds on things that are above and not on things on the earth. The battle is for the mind. That's where the battlefield is taking place. What are you thinking about? What are you putting in your mind? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Who are you consulting with? Who's planting those ideas there? Back in Galatians 3.3, 3, Paul's points out that the Christians start their new life by the Spirit. He says, you start your new life by the Spirit. He says, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit that you're now being perfected by the flesh? That's how we start, in the spirit, not in the flesh. We all began in the spirit. All of us came into spiritual life through the working of the Holy Spirit. We were conceived, excuse me, we were convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit. We were brought to repentance by the Holy Spirit. Faith was energized in us by the Holy Spirit so that we would respond to the preaching of the gospel. And then we were regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That is, we were recreated. We are a new creation. We have life. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit lives in us. It has sealed us for eternity. We've been sealed. Don't let people tell you that you might lose your salvation because you can't. Because God sealed us. And nobody takes apart the seal of God. Nobody has the power to do that. So we're safe. At the time the Spirit of God regenerated us, he he came to indwell us. By his work, we were baptized into the body of Christ. He gave us spiritual gifts. He then sealed us for eternal life and separated us from, from sin. All of that work is the work of the Spirit. All of it work that lifted us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God's dear Son, an incredible work that took us out of the mundane. It took us out of the earthly. It took us out of the damned. Not only that, but it set our feet in the heavenlies. He set our feet in the heavenly places. We are not of this world, though we are in this world. Our our citizenship is in heaven. And as a result of this heavenly life and this spiritual kind of existence, we can't begin in the spirit and then go on after that in the flesh, to be perfected by the flesh. That's not how it works. That's not what the scripture teaches. It's essential for us to live in the spirit. And that's where our victory lies. That's where our strength is, is in the Spirit. The Spirit brings us into intimacy with God. He is the resource. All of our resources are found in Him. All of our resources. The Spirit illuminates the Scripture both read and heard so we know exactly what God calls us to do. The Spirit strengthens us in the inner man so that we can do those things that we ought to do. The Spirit glorifies Christ to us, both as authority and as example, so we know how to live, and we know who to be like. The Spirit then personally guides us as he moves within us and through our conscience to do God's will. The Spirit then ministers to us through our Christian Brothers and sisters, he, he comes to us through them to touch our lives and bring us strength as we serve one another, love one another, provide for one another as we have need. And then finally the Spirit intercedes for us so that all things work together for good in our lives. The Spirit is our resource. So the key to Christian living in the Holy Spirit is that, that Spirit-controlled life that produces a victorious, a triumphant life. I wonder, as I've talked about this, you can tell I'm a little more energized this morning, a little bit. Hard topic last week. A lot more fun to talk about life and the Spirit and all that He does for us, all that He provides. But maybe you're not feeling that way this morning. Maybe you're not particularly triumphant. Maybe you're not feeling particularly victorious. And I just want to remind you that it doesn't really matter how you feel. It doesn't really matter how you feel because the words in Scripture are a fact. They are the truth. They tell us where we stand. They tell us our value. They tell us our future. They told us that our needs will be provided. That's the truth. I know sometimes we're sick, sometimes we're depressed, but the Holy Spirit promises and gives us life. Through the Holy Spirit, God works in our lives. So the key to Christian living is the Holy Spirit. That's that Spirit-controlled life. You wonder, you're saying right now, well, that was number 16. How many times is he going to say that this morning? Well, maybe if I repeat repeat it a few more times, we'll get it. Maybe I'll get it. Maybe I'll get it. Only the Holy Spirit can overcome the influence of the fallen flesh. You've got to understand that. We can't do it ourselves. We can't lift ourselves out. We can't think ourselves out. We can't will ourselves out. But through the Holy Spirit, we can be released from that grip of the flesh. Every wrong action, every wrong word, every wrong idea. Do you remember the list of things that were in Romans 1, talking about the man who's without excuse? Do you remember the things that we found just a few verses back in Galatians, that list of things that are come out of the flesh? It's pretty all-encompassing. It is all-encompassing. But all the difficulty in this life is a result of our fallen flesh. The Bible says we've already been changed in the inner man by salvation. We've already been changed. We don't have to deal, we don't have to worry about the consequences of that flesh because we have life. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now here, and now, we must find some means to subdue the flesh because we're still, we're still dragging around that old person who we were, that old flesh, that old man, that person who we were. But I want to take you back to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. We find a command there. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. This is foundational truth for all Christian living. Walk by the Spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. The word walk there is an interesting word in the Greek. Um, I wouldn't know this unless I read it. I'm not a Greek uh, uh, Greek scholar. Are you surprised by that? Do I look like a Greek scholar? I'm just a guy. But I read. You can read. Other people can tell you what the Greek means. And so as a good person who knows he's clueless about the Greek I thought I would read up on that a little bit but that's an interesting word Uh, they, they call it I think a progressive present tense command in the way it's written in the Greek it's with continuity and I might translate it to keep on continually walking by the spirit keep on doing it keep on walking you see the life of a Christian unfolds one step at a time Now we know the future, we know the ultimate end of the story and that gives us the courage to take the next step because we know where we wind up, right? We know where we're going, we know what our destiny is, but one step at a time under the control of the Holy Spirit, that's how we're to live. The Spirit, I love this, I've always loved it in in Psalm 119, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. He's leading step by step, foothold by foothold, a lamp and a light. We already have the indwelling spirit, according to Romans 8, 9, according to 1 Corinthians 6.19. 6, 19. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives there, and the spirit in us, and the spirit is moving and leading And we simply respond moment by moment, step by step, day by day. It sounds too simple, doesn't it? And it is so simple. And it is so hard. So simple and so hard. So I want you to think about for a minute that you're you're wherever you are, you're in whatever time you are, you're in whatever circumstances that you are, and you're wondering what the will of God is. And so he has you where you are in his providence and sovereignty, however you want to look at it. He has you in that spot and he has you in that time. So don't worry about your circumstances right now. The thing is, is what does the Lord want me to do? And as you read the scripture, as you talk to fellow Christians and believers, as you listen to preaching, as you pray, the light comes and it shines what you should do next. And it doesn't tell you the next 10 years. It doesn't tell you the next five years. It just gives you the next step. And you just step. You don't have to worry about the next step. He just showed you this one. Occupy it. Get comfortable. Do what he wants you to do in that place. And then he illumines the next step. And you take that step. And then sometimes you're standing here and You know, you're going, oh, I'm going to do this. And he goes, don't do that. Don't step there. Don't step in that. (laughs) And so we step in the direction that he illumines. And we step, step by step. We want to move too fast. We want to move in our own accord. We want to move because we want power. We want authority. We want recognition. We want pleasure. We want ease all the things that he preys upon but walking step by step in Christ I can tell you that there's nothing better to have taken a step than to, to realize whether you know it or not that that's exactly where God wanted you and every once in a while by circumstances he points out yes yes you're right where I want you to be I would tell you dads your dads occupy that ground Be a dad, be a father, teach them up in the way they should go. Husbands, love your wives. How do you do that? The Bible tells us as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for the church. So we lay down our lives, dads. It's not glamorous. It's not what the world tells us it's going to be. We lay down our lives. We provide. We treasure. We we take care of her as 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 a wonderful, fragile gift. She's built differently than we are. We need to take care of her. Children, obey your parents. There are some basic things that the Scripture says we need to occupy that ground, and if we're not occupying that ground, we've misstepped. So just take it a step at a time. I want you to also think about this. This is a little startling, but each step we take is either a step in the Spirit or consequently, or against that, is a step in the flesh. There are only two kinds of steps we take, one in the spirit or one in the flesh. Ephesians tells us to stand firm, and having done everything to stand, stand. There's this cautionary tale in Ephesians that says, just hold your ground, stand. And having done everything to stand, stand, occupy the ground you're in. See what the word has to say about where you are right now. What role you're in. What God-ordained roles are you in and and occupy that ground as the scripture tells us to. We have a walking life. A walking life. That's what the the Christian life is. It's a daily step-by-step, moment-by-moment yielding to the spirit of God. Now what I'm about to do, don't go to sleep. Just bear with me for a minute, all right? Just hang on. It's going to be all right. But walk is a general term used to talk about how the Christian life is defined. And I'm going to prove it to you. This may wear some of you out. But just hold with me. Ephesians 4 2 and 3 says this walk in humility. Romans 13 13 says walk in purity. 1 Corinthians 7.17 says, walk in con- contentment. In 2 Corinthians 5.7, it says, walk in faith. In Ephesians two 2.10, it says, walk in good works. In Ephesians 4.17, it says, walk differently than the world. In 2 Thessalonians 3.6, it says, walk separated from sin. In Ephesians 5.2 and 3, it says, walk in love. In the same chapter in Ephesians, it says, walk in light. It says, walk in wisdom. And in 3 John 3 and 4, it says, walk in truth. Walk, 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 walk. Keep on walking, continually walking, being filled by the Holy Spirit. We talked about walking, or we talk about walking. We have to walk by the Spirit. The Spirit produces kindness. It's the Spirit who produces self-control. It's the Spirit who produces contentment and faith and patience, who makes you different from the world and separates you from sin. It's the Spirit who produces in us love and joy and peace the spirit that does that. The spirit will, if you walk in the spirit, you'll not carry out the lust and the desires of the flesh. That's victory. That's victory. Last week we talked about the conflict with the flesh. I don't care to go back there today. I don't care to revisit last week. But I will say this. In Galatians 5, verse 17, it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. I don't know if you've looked at that before, but that word Spirit, used twice there, capital S. Capital S. Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, His Spirit, is opposed to our flesh, and our flesh is opposed to His Spirit. The flesh will control you if you're not active with the Spirit. We know that the Spirit leads to anger and hostility and bitterness and gossiping and jealousy and envy and strife. The lusts of the flesh all the time desiring what is wrong, what is destructive, what divides. And the only hope for overcoming is to walk in the Spirit. I think that's I've said that now 32 times. I'm wondering, are you hearing me? Do you hear me? They say repetition is a good teaching tool. Do you think I listened too much? Paul gets real specific in verse 17, though. He says, tells, he tells us about the conflict, and he says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. We're a new creation and we're incarcerated in this old unredeemed flesh and until we get redeemed in the flesh until we get that old man out of the way we're going to have this struggle we're going to have this battle do you remember paul when we talked about paul last week he said look i do the very thing i don't want to do and he said the very thing that i don't want to do that i do he had more to say about it but it describes the conflict it describes what he was going through and can't we all relate i know i can relate i know sometimes i say things and i'm just like oh bring it back get it back i let it fly bring it back home you didn't hear that i didn't say that i didn't mean that but he has this struggle and he says that the struggle in romans seven fourteen. he says that it's in my flesh. The Holy Spirit has come in, and I, I have this new man in me, but but this new man is living in this old house that is in my flesh. What does that word mean? What is the word flesh? It's very interesting again to look at it in the Greek. It's the word sarks, and it's a very important term in the New Testament. And it really we can look at it three different ways in the Greek. It's used in kind of three different manners in the New Testament. It says. Sometimes it just refers to the physical body, like in Luke twenty-four thirty-nine, where Jesus said, A spirit has not flesh and bones, as you see me have. He's just talking about his tissue, just about his flesh, just about his body. And in Romans sixteen nineteen, where it talks about the weakness of our flesh, it's simply talking about that these bodies that we're in are kind of weak. They're kind of fragile. They're not all that strong. They're susceptible to all kind of things. But do you remember when I read to you this morning and last week, Galatians 3.3, 3, it says something a little bit different, and it says, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And if you think about that in the context of Galatians, in the book of Galatians, he's talking about following the law, and they had all these rules they had to follow. So in the flesh, they tried to be perfected by what they did and by what they didn't do. And he said, listen. That's not the way you're perfected. It's not in your flesh. That is in your human effort. Our human effort does not perfect us. It's not where perfection is found. We're already perfect. You've got to let Satan quit playing in that playground of your mind where you're thinking of yourself differently than what the Scripture says that you are. You need to win the battle for the mind. So when he accuses, and when he lies, and he tries to destroy and devour, you have the Scripture in hand. And you say, this this is what the Word of God says. Yes, in fact, Satan, this is what he says. He says, I am a new creation. He says, all things are passed away. He says, all things are made new. He says that my sins are as far as the east is from the west. Get out of this house. Get out of my mind. You don't belong here. We walk by the Spirit. So having begun by the Spirit, don't be perfected by the flesh. So the flesh is not only our unredeemed humanness, but the flesh is all of our human effort. The idea that we could come up with some human solution to a spiritual problem is pretty silly, isn't it? We couldn't bring ourselves back to life. We had to be born again. There was nothing we could do, nothing that we could do to create life in us so that we were acceptable to God, new life, his son's life, his son's righteousness, his son's holiness. We couldn't do it but we did it by the Spirit. Why, having done it by the Spirit, do we try to walk in the flesh? Stop it. Just stop it. The word desire, when it talks about the desire of the flesh, it's the word, I can't pronounce this, epithihumia, maybe. It means a strong desire, an evil yearning. Blanche is over here laughing at me. I don't know if y'all know Blanche. But Blanche is laughing. And I'm calling you out. I see it. I think it's funny too, just so you know. She studies ancient languages, and she could actually tell you these things. But I, yeah, well, anyway, y'all know, right? I'm just a guy. But what the Holy Spirit wants to do is it wants to prevent us from responding to those desires of the flesh, those strong desires. I get a little solemn for a minute. In verse 21 of our passage this morning, Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And When you look at the Greek again in that passage, it's not talking about one-time-offs, one-offs. It's talking about if those acts of the flesh continually are the pattern, if those acts of the flesh characterize you moment by moment, day by day, If you have no control whatsoever, if you just keep going down that road, right? He's saying you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying you're not a Christian. That's a tough word. But I wonder, I wonder for any of us that that struggle in that way. Now, don't let Satan enter in here. He's not talking about that one lie. He's not even talking about the second lie. He's just talking about if it's a pattern of what you do that your life is characterized by acts of the flesh. He said you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're not a Christian. So it's a wake-up call. The Bible tells us as Christians to examine ourselves, to work out our salvation. So I wonder when I say that this morning, does anybody in here hear this? He's knocking. He's knocking. He wants to come in. And people say, oh, my problem, I just don't love people very well. I don't love people very well. And Christ says, well, I've provided love in the fruit of the Spirit. He says, that's where that love is found. Draw close to me. Draw close to me. Put my word in you. Obey the things I say to do, not because you have to, but because you love me. And the Holy Spirit will create that love in your life. You say, well, I'm always sad. I'm so depressed. I'm in despair. Christ has provided joy in the fruit of the Spirit. He's provided that. It's there for the taking. We already have it. We have the Spirit. The joy is in here. If I'm in conflict and I have all these fears, Christ has provided peace as a fruit of the Spirit. You're impatient? Fruit of the Spirit. You lack self-control? Fruit of the Spirit. I don't mean to oversimplify it. The Christian life is not said to be an easy life. Work out your salvation. Does Christ's life look easy to you? Did he have an easy road? He's our example, right? He's the one we're supposed to imitate. Did Paul have an easy life? Do the great Christians of the faith who were sawn in two, who were stoned, who were scourged, Did they have an easy life? Why then do we expect this life to be easy? It's not easy. It's hard. But it's hard with a promise. And it's hard with hope. And it's hard with a Savior who loves us enough that he died for us. So I just want to say this. We walk in the Spirit by having continual conversation with the Heavenly Father what are you talking about? Well, we might call that prayer. We just might. We might call that prayer. Praying continually. We listen to what he says when we pray. That also might be called prayer. You know, prayer is a two-way street. We pray to him and then we listen to see what he has to say. And usually what he does when we pray in that manner is he brings his word back to us and he speaks to us through the word that we've impl- he's implanted in our heart because we've taken the time to read it. Walking in the spirit. Reading his word daily. Because his word is our food. His word is our life. He is our life. In him we live and move and have and being. Draw close to him. We meet with our brothers and sisters and we're encouraged by them. Iron, sharpening iron and providing for each other as we have need and how, as others have abundance. Day By day, by day, by day, by day, by day, we walk. That's hard to do. It's hard to do alone. I'm blessed with a sweet wife. I'm I'm blessed with a wife that loves the Lord. I'm blessed with exactly what I prayed for as a young man. Someone who comes along and makes me better than I am because she's willing to say to me what the word says. She's willing to help me. She's willing to say the hard thing. Sometimes I need to hear the good thing. Sometimes I'm beating myself up and she says, oh no, this is what the word says. She's given up her life for me and my family. The life that the world would prescribe, the life that the world says this is where it's all at, this is where joy is, this is where happiness is. She said no to all that. That's not easy but it's in the one another's and the church and the fellowship. As the church came together in the New Testament, they looked at what everybody had need of, and the other people looked at what they had, and they provided for the needs of one, another's, of one another. So we need each other, and it's not easy. That's why in chapter 6 it says, if a man is caught in a transgression, and I want you to think about that word caught for a minute, it doesn't mean it necessarily mean, look, he's sinning. I caught you. But it has a different dimension of it if he's stuck, if he's caught in the net. And we come along, our brothers and sisters, and what does that passage say? It comes across in gentleness. Those of you who are spiritual, those walking by the Spirit, you come along and restore that person in the spirit of gentleness. And what does it say after that? It says, and look to yourself, because you might also be tempted. In the same way, in humility, in love, come to that person and restore them. The law of love. It's hard to do it. It's hard to do it alone. We need each other. And isn't that why the church is the church? We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we are to stimulate one another to love and good works and provide for one another. Beloved, the answer to all of life's needs for the believer is walking in the Spirit. The Spirit is Jesus Christ. The Spirit is God the Father. And you say, what are you talking about? We don't have time for me to explain the Trinity, but it's the three in one. The one separate, but the all together, they're God. We have God living in us through his Holy Spirit. We have the life of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit gives us a spirit crying out, Abba, Father. Now that doesn't ring true to most of us. But when you look at the Greek, what that means is daddy, like a little kid who falls and stumbles, or a little kid who really wants something. He desires something. He's asking for a gift. Says, daddy, daddy. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that God the Father puts in us a position Puts that spirit in us. That's God-given. Crying out, Daddy. Let's help each other. Let's remind each other. Let's pull together. And let's walk like that. Let's pray. lord we we come to you this morning, and we we need you lord the 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 works of our flesh are just filthy rags, they're meaningless. we need you, Lord, to work in us, Lord, show us the things that you would have us to do, show us as dads how to father better and as wives how to to be better at that, at being a helpmeet to our husbands. And Lord, help us as husbands to lay down our lives for our wives. Lord, to do your will. Lord, we need you. Father, help us, strengthen us by the renewal of our minds. Lord, create in us a clean heart. Lord, you've given us each work to do. Help us, Father, to accomplish all of it. And help us to be witnesses to all of those around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.